always check with the musicians first. I seen him sit there, wondering if he was going to break into another song. Quick a minute, checking my bulletin. Uh, thank you for leading us in worship. I uh, I keep getting reminded, like I did over Christmas, that the musician, as my sister is, has more education in piano lessons than I do having gone to seminary and becoming a pastor. So she says, why do they keep thanking you and not me? <laughs> Every Christmas. <laughs> Turn to Romans 12 with me. We would like to read a uh, simple two verses. And Wayne did an excellent job of uh, setting us up with the fact that uh, it applies to all of us. Sometimes it's difficult, though, as to how to go about discerning who we are. And I want to spend some time this morning opening up scriptures together, discovering the offering um, that I believe turns into a great sense of joy, uh, even though in our passage today it talks about the word sacrifice. But before um, I read that, I would like to just uh, make sure that you understand I will read it in a few moments, as I will with Second Kings, but that will be later on. And I won't read it per se as much as I will uh, tell you the story. And I'll do that from my heart in hopes that you will read it later and see it for yourself. I would like to begin, as you have Romans 12 in front of you, looking at verse 1 with this word urged, begin by asking, when's the last time uh, you've seen yourself in a position where you were urging someone? We don't really have um, much use for a word like that, it seems, anymore. I don't hear it that much, but we know what it implies, right? And I wonder if you just reflect, uh, if you could, in this past week or month or maybe even in your entire life if you need to. For example, when you were dating or if you had dated or, you know, there's this urge of asking someone out. I want to ask her out, right? That's, that's an urge. We don't have to use the word to understand what that meant. We just know it comes from within. Or perhaps you're parenting a child and uh, you, you want, you're urging them to, to engage. Come on, come on. Sometimes I just hammer my kids, which is not urging, <laughs> but I, I say that because I have this great passion within me to say, uh, um, find, a, find a new hobby, you know? Life is about exploring. I don't care if you end up not liking it, but think and dream about something that's within you so that you can, you know, move towards that, and, and there I find myself urging. Funny word. I just wanted to start off by, by highlighting that word because that's the word that, without any doubt, is Paul's heartbeat this morning as he speaks God's word to us. Urge has everything to do with patch, passion, it is not a command. Which is very interesting if you think about it, because there are times in the Scriptures where the apostles, as well as, of course, Jesus, including the Old Testament where God, lays it out and said, this is a command. This is not a command. This is a passionate urge, rooted in deep conviction and if we would go to the bottom end of this conversation, I would dare engage with you regarding a conversation that it is not begging. It is not a begging because there's not a need. There's not a pressing need. It's seemingly just 
frivolous. It's seemingly just something to move us forward to the well of living water. Some might want to say that is a need, but it is not what Paul's spirit is when he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your your Word speaks with great passion through Your servant Paul to bring us forward in ways that we perhaps have never dreamed, as Paul never dreamed until he started to move his way through that, <clears throat> that blinding experience that he had. Lord, that he would speak to us with such fervor in the name of a sacrificial son, your son, Jesus Christ, that he would be telling us about the great <clears throat> conviction he has for us to view ourselves in, in light of God's mercy as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. That we would think of offering in ways that is more than just a response to need. Lord, we delight in your word and we give thanks and we ask that you may cut to our hearts as you did the first disciples. Through the name of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven, we pray. Amen. I continue to, uh, to spread a little bit of the, the good news of the gospel through a number of different neighborhoods, and I don't think this is specifically for neighborhoods, but it is a real great context in which to bring your offering without understanding there's a need. And I want to get to that in a few minutes, but first I want to begin by telling a wonderful story that I had planned to tell, and it is one that talks about the offering. There's a church that um, experimented, and I don't know all the details as to where this fund came from, but the pastor stood on a Sunday morning like this, and he had $5,000 cash, which of course makes everyone put their peppermints away and pay attention. <clears throat> and he laid out the cash in, in different, different piles of, I believe, $500. And so he had piles all over the stage, and he simply began by talking about his message. I don't even know what the scripture passage was. What I do know is that outside of any weird altar call, he simply told stories that were applicable to this morning's theme as well, to his theme, as to, for all of you who want to offer out of the generosity Knowing that Christ first loved us, come on, take whatever it is you will. Out of the $5,000 laying on the stage, this pastor said that morning to his congregation, take what you will. And he began to talk about stories of which one I'm going to tell was a result of this. For there was an elderly gentleman who was trying to retire 75, 80, and he walked his way up while the preacher was talking. 
And he collected some of the money up, and he folded it over, put it in his pocket, and he went back to his pew. Others did the same, but this particular elderly gentleman um, was a mechanic by trade and was trying to retire and suddenly had some insight as to how he was going to respond to the gospel message that that pastor talked about. And as a result, he took the money home and he went around, apparently, after that sermon, not right away, but throughout the weeks, and, and he actually went to his, his, his different neighbors and said, uh, I, I have been given $100 so that I can change any spark plug oil or do any kind of mechanical thing that you want me to do <coughs> on, your, on your small engine. And maybe, if, if, if you dare, I, I could look at your vehicle, but I'm not that good at that. And, and he humbly projected himself out there. But, but what he was doing was simply being an offering. With, with some monetary value, of course, he came with. So the, the story is rather fixed. But it started to blow up this whole concept of who we are. Instead of just waiting for the need to come, that he would then offer this as his gift to anybody who cares to receive it. And it wasn't so much about getting a freebie as it was for him to be a blessing as the pastor indicated on that Sunday morning's message with the $5,000. There were many other things that happened. I believe uh, there was even some big uh, uh, um, Super Bowl uh, party that was put on that people used the money for. But, but this particular story uh, was magical in some sense because as he went around to his neighborhood and, and offered this, he ended up going down a road that he would, would have never gone down before in order for him to be at a position where he could see things that he'd never seen before. And what happened was those people engaged in this opportunity where he had gone to them to offer, and through that engagement, they would end up coming to him because they were blessed. That's not the word he used. It's just a way to sum it up in terms of who he was as one that was responding to that message that morning. And not so long Later, he ended up having his garage opened on the Wednesdays of every week from 4 to 6 for any of his neighbors to come by. And it wasn't so much about the spark plugs. It wasn't so much about getting the question answers of how to run their machinery better or to keep it up better. That was just a false front after a while as he found out, in which he was able to hear the stories of people's tragedies and people's celebrations who did not know about the good news of the gospel, who did not know about the new mercies of Jesus Christ that come each morning, who did not know about the power of forgiveness and what that does to transform us with the renewing of our minds. Suddenly, this gentleman needed no more money placed at the front of his church. He was not a wealthy man. He would like to say he had a lot of time, but like many retired people say, I've been busier than ever. He went out to see how his opportunities that he was led to use 
became ones that were kingdom-building opportunities. Now, to get off the, uh, the money concept, I would like to say that there are other offerings that start to color this a little. In our particular neighborhood, we've had people who have taken some of the instructions of what they have to offer and to bless each other. I don't particularly know what I'm doing all the time. And I want to be confessional because I'd hate to have you think that this always works or that there's something here that I'm trying to get you to do that works. What I do know is that the offering in light of God's mercy is one that is a blessing to those as we bring that forward with the proper motivation knowing that we are rooted in the good news of the Scripture. That I do know is truth. For my family and I, and I probably had mentioned this to you if not in a sermon before, simply thought, hey, we all love strawberries, all six of us. Let's grow strawberries and just give them away to those whom we are led to bless. So we have 500 strawberry plants, and we go to people who we want to bless And it becomes uh, an instigator for prayer. Not because we think there's a shortage in the world of strawberries and that there's a need. Because I believe that in the scriptures, there's a great deal of conversation of how we go about with our offering that seems to line it up due to the fact that there is a need. And there is no doubt about it that that is in the scriptures. That we are to give according to another's needs. And that our offering is based on that theological principle. But that shouldn't take up the whole conversation. Unfortunately, in my experiences, when I see different groups like leadership of the town or the city, or leadership at a committee, or leadership at a church, that fundamentally the majority of the conversations are based around needs. But here's the beauty. As we read Paul urging us with the great conviction and great passion to say, this is not because there's needs. It's because you have been given the great mercy of God that you now get the privilege just to bless people with whatever you have to bless. And one of the new ideas in our neighborhoods is this. Everybody has a birthday. You have a gift to share to people. And then someone asks me once if I'm truly a missionary then I need to ask myself who I invited over for my birthday. Was it just my friends and close people and family so that I could have the celebration that I wanted? Or was that something that also included as an offering to bless people who I do not know that I can bring into the presence of celebration to say God has given me 48 years. Actually, I just had a birthday a couple of The idea of having that is beautiful. And I did do that on my birthday, in case you are wondering, in terms of bringing neighbors into the presence of the celebration. And we had a neighbor who, on their 55th anniversary, did the same. And there is a great ways and to be creative, to know that this is a passion, not a command, that it comes from deep conviction out of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And it's not begging. It's not trying to address a need. It's simply taking the beauty that Paul has recognized through the first 11 chapters of Romans as is now 
portraying it on to our richness, asking us then to bless others. So I'm not clear about the story, but when I did send in the material to the council, to the secretary, to Pastor Mike, uh, then I stumbled across a conversation, I hope you don't mind, Anne was up here leading worship, but she said, that's interesting that you're going to preach on that because Bethel just had a Christmas dinner service, and this is where I might screw the story up, but there was someone who gave envelopes of monetary value, I believe it was, simply offered to anybody on that Christmas day that could make use of it. I know something like that happened. I didn't get the full detail, and I think for any of you who who were there, you might know a little about it. But there I see somebody taking advantage of Paul's passion and saying that I have this to offer, not because there were needs, from what I understand, but simply out of view of God's mercy. So there's money, of course. There's birthdays and anniversaries. But there's just also the stuff that you have, like the strawberries, which is why I got into doing certain things and why I think it's great for my kids to look for another hobby because they could share what they know or what they have. Or like with the roasting of coffee, how that started, just simply just trying it out on neighbors and using them as experiments to understand what was good and what was not. But to help them understand the other, uh, the other day, I was invited to the St. Leonard's, Leonard's Anglican Church on the hill in Red Deer because they found out as a missionary what I was doing in terms of bringing uh, life into the neighborhood, and they wanted to know how they could take part in that. Well, I said, it's a question I get asked a lot. What do you want me to do? And they go, well, what do you do? And I go on, well, this is what I do. And they actually asked me to come and do a number of these things in terms of presenting lots of opportunities and stories that I've heard and witnessed in myself into bringing the offering into the neighborhood. They did ask me to come and bring my roaster. I roast live right on the parking lot. I don't know why they were interested in that. I thought they got a kick, kick out of it. And yeah, they, they bought a little. That was cool. But as I, as I was there... I began to talk amongst some of the people, and that's where sometimes it gets good. You know, the meeting after the meeting? You got all that formal stuff, and they applauded for you and thanked, and they said that was cool, and see you later. And while we were were chatting, we were actually standing on the road, and I don't know whose neighborhood it was, but there was a gentleman that was sitting on the step of his house, smoking. And I thought, uh, in the group, that I was talking to from the St. Leonard's Anglican Church if they knew who that person was. And no one knew who that person was. And I'm going, can I just experiment for a moment? Because it's just what I like to do. And so they said, sure. And I said, don't everybody look at once, but I'm going to go over there. And I'm going to just go and talk to this gentleman to see uh, if he knows anything about offering. And so I went up to him, and I know I'm an extrovert, and I'm not expecting other people to do this. But as I went and I talked to this gentleman, <laughs> I stood on his front step for probably five to seven minutes and then returned 100 feet away to the group that was gathered over at the side of the road. 
They were eagerly waiting to wonder what some missionary pastor is going to be doing when they go over to this guy, especially when he's in our backyard. I simply said, well, I have this package of coffee that I just roasted, and because I have it, and I don't know what you would have done, but I said, hey, you drink coffee? And he goes, yeah. And I go, no, I just want to uh, share some to you because I, I, I have some. I was roasting it over there. Just kind of wanted to say hi. Noticed you're having a smoke and, and uh, just, just thought uh, I would ask you a little, little question. And he goes, oh, lay it on me, man. And I go, um, you know, do you know anything about offering? And he goes, nah. And I says, uh, you, uh, you grew up in the church at all? And he goes, no. And I go on, because that's where that word gets used a lot. And um, and it's about giving without expecting anything in return. And he goes, oh, yeah, cool. You know? <laughs> so I said, uh, I says, you do any of that? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, how old are you? He says, oh, 29. I says, you, uh, you own this house? I go, yeah, yeah, I do. He says, I actually got a little business going, I uh, I do some uh, manicuring of lawns and landscaping and all that, and got into it a while back, made a little business out of it, actually. I said, oh, cool. I said, so, so is that just business, or do you, do you use that in any ways as, as this offering thing? And I'm standing here, and of course, the, the con- congregation on the roadside can't help but look, right? It's kind of weird. He says, yeah, actually, uh, Lily's uh, 93 down there. I do her lawn all the time because she can't do it, and... Uh, and I sometimes have extra trees don't know what to do with. So. And he's totally blessing his, his neighbors without understanding why he's doing it, which is always a mystery to me, but has taught me a great deal about how we bless each other. And then richer and deeper yet to be convicted because you know of a Christ who has redeemed and removed our sins is all the more reason to understand why Paul is urging us in view of God's mercy, with great compassion, to bless others. Therefore I urge you, says Paul. I would like to say a couple things, that this is a discipline. And much like the New Year's resolutions that you made, whether it's for health reasons or financial reasons, that the disciplines don't come easy. They are ones that we always cheat ourselves on, just like we do when we see the food and can't resist the temptation, or when we budgeted the item but we blur the lines because we really want that thing. So is it with the disciplines of the faith when we go out, such is the case with offering, that we sometimes cut corners or cheat or tell us that this isn't a good day or I don't really feel like it or I know what the lesson's all about but I don't really have to do it. Therefore, retrieving the blessing from the person that you could be passing it on to. It's out of the abundance that we have in our life that we are in a great position to be a person that gives out of the sheer understanding of Christ's mercy. It's a great story, and this is the piece that I want to refer to in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses uh, 9. And if you read that story tonight at home or this afternoon around the table just on your own, I would like you to discover it for yourself. But it is a great story that shines the light of Jesus Christ onto our message this morning. 
you see, this is a discipline that Elisha knew of because he was a man of God, a servant of God, as he is called in 2 Kings chapter 6. He lives out this message because of his understanding of who God is, his faithfulness, and he starts to scratch at the surface of who Christ is as he foreshadows the whole concept of mercy. You see, Elisha is in the Armenian, um, no, the Ar- king of Aram, sorry, uh, is, is planning to attack the Israelites and Elisha's finding out all the secrets. And as you read, it will be evident to you that it's Elisha, the king of Aram, finds out from his troops that is spoiling all the attacks because when the Arameans want to attack, the, Elisha, uh, the, sorry, the Israelites aren't there anymore. And so they got Elisha pegged as the cheat, as the guy who's ratting them out all the time, and the king of Aram is ticked off. And so he takes his troops and he goes, finds Elisha in the town of Dothan, and he surrounds them, them meaning Elisha and Elisha's buddy, with the troops. And there's a huge, vast army surrounding Dothan, And as you read the story, you'll see that Elisha has his buddy get out and having his coffee, I guess, on the front porch first, and freaks out because he knows what's going on when he sees the entire city surrounded, and he's thinking, we're done. Because I hang out with Elisha, and I know Elisha is the snitch, and the king of Aram is here, and we are so finished because there's a zillion of them around us, and there's just two of us and our coffee. But Elisha comes out... And he says things like, do you not see God? Do you just see the vast human armies that you think is more powerful? Do you not see the vastness of God and his greatness that trumps this king of Aram? And as you read the story, you will see that there's a great prayer discernment that Elijah has in, in having people not see stuff and to see stuff. And as it turns out, the story in 2 Kings 6 has Elisha take king of Aram and then the the entire army that wants to kill the Israelites, not to mention really kill Elisha and his buddy. And Elisha takes that whole army right into the presence of the Israelite king and their army. And now we've got a huge issue where the enemy, who's always wanted to kill them in the middle of those who were to fall victim, the Israelites. And so the king of Israel says to Elisha, now we got him. We can finish him off forever. As I paraphrase the story. What do you want us to do? Almost like the king of Israel says, which ones should we kill first? And Elisha says, because of his understanding of God, no, king of Israel, Let's take our enemy, let's throw them a feast, feed them, and send them on their way. When I read that story again and again, I am dumbfounded in the fact that someone would take an enemy, let alone a whole army, and in view of God's mercy, bless them and then release them. But if you read the very last verse of 2 Kings 6, 
Verse 23, it's not the last verse, but of the story. You will notice that it was not for a very long time that the Arameans bothered the Israelites. They didn't bother them for a very long time. Because they were transformed by the way in which Elisha had treated them. You see, in Romans chapter 12, we hear about the living sacrifice. We hear about the urging. We hear about this being an offering. That, as I'm indicating, isn't just about to uh, address needs, but to address the blessing aspect of how we are to live our lives amongst those around us. In order for transformation to take place through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, not that we should wait and think, well, I gave the strawberries, where's the transformation, you know? But that we understand the role, as Elisha so eloquently told us in his story and lived it out, that this transformation takes place without maybe all the evidence that we need, but because we trust in the message of the good news of how Christ had transformed so many through his sacrifice on the cross. In fact, if you read the original language and terminology through verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, It will talk about the transformation by the renewing of our minds, which has everything to do with our capacity of understanding God, or that we have the mind capacity of God. Can we see what He sees? Or in other words, are we like Elisha that sees God's greatness above all else? Or are we like Elisha's buddy who came out first on the balcony with the coffee and was overwhelmed, even though he knew who God was, by the enemy? And as Romans 12 picks up on the capacity that we have to see what God sees, he further illustrates how we then must be an offering so we may understand God's willingness in terms of transforming people, His will, this good and pleasing and perfect will. This is different than how the world works. And as we close this message off, we know that when we give ourselves, whether it's money, birthdays, or whether it's just because we trusted somebody, There's another beautiful story. To trust people. Even though you know that it may not work, but because it's in view of God's mercy, we trust people, we begin to help them understand something they didn't before. Because it's not the ways of the world. It's not the pattern of the world to trust. As we can trust in view of God's mercy. In order for transformation to take place. And thus, our offering, not just for need, but because of God's mercy. So let's respond and sing together if we can. The church of Christ cannot be bound and stand and sing that together as a celebration of who Christ is to us and how we are to live as an offering. Let's stand. If we can.